The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. A very good afternoon to you on this, the 16th of October, 2023. It's just after the midday mark, and it's hard to believe how this year has just swept past us all. And the unexpected has happened in this last quarter of the year when we see what's happening around the world, especially in Israel and Palestine. Also a very somber mood in the High FM studios today. We're going to be chatting in a few minutes to two people who have survived and are now taking a stand against the plight of whistleblowers in South Africa. Joining us live in studio is Johanna Pena. She is the widow of the late Marumo Eric Pena, who passed away very tragically um, in a hail of bullets exactly one year ago tomorrow. And we'll be talking about this devastating um, impact that, that, that this has had on her family, her friends, her business, and how it's continuing in respect of how whistleblowers in South Africa are just treated in such a horrific manner. Cynthia Stimple, of course, from Whistleblower House, will be chatting to us a little bit about what's happening in the fight for the rights of whistleblowers and to just let us know a little bit more about what we can do to support whistleblowers going forward. If you want to join the conversation, you're more than welcome to SMS us on 34519. You can send a telegram 061-895-1019. And our Twitter account, of course, is at FM. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening, to li- you're listening live to Confidential Brief on High FM, broadcasting Johannesburg 101.9 FM and streaming worldwide on highfm.com. It's, it's, I, I mentioned the opening that's a very somber mood in our studio today, and I, I meant that. Um, when one thinks about what's happening to whistleblowers in South Africa as a result of them coming out in respect of the, the huge amount of fraud and corruption that's taking place, specifically within the public sector and state-owned entities, one has to wonder where to from here. My guest today, Johanna Pena, who's the widow of Marumo Pena. Tomorrow is exactly one year since he was assassinated, and Cynthia Stimple from the Whistleblower House. Johanna, very good afternoon, and welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Chet, and good afternoon to the listeners. Johanna, it's been... Just over 10 months since I've, I've, I met you for the first time, and it's been a journey these past um, 10 months. It's been ups and downs. It's been a tragic situation when one looks at the circumstances. When you look back to the day before your husband's assassination last year, I don't think you ever in a million years felt that you'd be sitting in this chair chatting about the tragic circumstances in which your husband was taken from you. Ted, <sighs> um... Yeah, a year ago on the 16th, we were at a party and um, everything was fine. Uh, we got home and yeah, um, I never thought that um, 2023 I'll be talking about him as in the past. Now, unlike a lot of other situations, on the 17th of October, your husband was taken from you under such tragic circumstances you had forewarning of this. People had reached out to you. They had threatened you, and they had told you and your husband that they were going to kill you if you continued to speak out about corruption that you had uncovered. 
Um, yes, on the 9th of August, uh, we had visitors. Unfortunately, we were not at home. Um, they told our security guy that uh, they were there uh, for a mission uh, to kill me and my husband. And uh, on the 10th, they did call me, and uh, they wanted us to meet at the Midland Police Station. And I refused. I said, you come to Haniju Police Station uh, because it's closer to me. And uh, on, the, on the 12th of August, they called again, and um, they warned us. They said uh, they are hitmen's. Um, they were hired to kill me and my husband. Um, if we continue with the with the case of uh, home affairs, uh, if we continue with the invest, the, if um, the department continue the investigation and uh, we continue with the testifying, they will kill us. Cynthia, when you hear about how overt and blatantly in your face these threats were. Um, that led to to the unfortunate death of Marumo. Does it come as any surprise to you that people can be so overt and threatening? Thank you for inviting me here. No, it's not a surprise at all. What we've seen and the threats that whistleblowers receive on a daily basis, firstly, it's the harassment at work, and then secondly is if there's hired killers like in the case of Maruma Pena, is that um, these these are actually blatant by approaching the, the client, the prospective um, assassination client that they want to assassinate. For me, that is really, um, it puts its intimidation tactics for the person. And, and even though they're giving warning up front, they are still intending to deliver on that warning and so um, and the, the sad part for me is that the person who, who receives the threat has nowhere to go they've been to the police station they've reported it and there's no protection there's no guidance on what can you do how do you then go into safety measures so it's it's a real threat and it's it continues Johanna, you reported these threats, you recorded these threats, you had footage of the people making these threats, and you did what any right-minded citizen would do. You reported it to the police. What happened thereafter? Um, Chad, we did report the matter to the police. Um, they know who the culprits are. They've got their photos. They've got their numbers. They've got their videos. Um, but nothing happened till today. So just to get this clear, you get these threats, you go to the police, your husband's still alive. Yeah. The police need to investigate these threats, yet your husband still gets assassinated. Yeah. I was, on the 17th of October, I was told that um, the investigators were on leave since the 6th of September, since the last time we saw the, the I.O., and this is what makes your case so unique, is that you knew that something was brewing. The threats had been made. You took it seriously. You reported it. Do you feel let down by the system? Absolutely. Um, I think um, they don't care. In my opinion, they don't care. Um, 
if you report uh, a case like this, it should be taken seriously. But um, till today, nothing is happening. No one is communicating to me. Um, no one is reaching out. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to Cynthia about the plight of whistleblowers and to find out whether there are more cases that are similar to the Pena case and what needs to be done by the state to address these wrongs. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief. Today we're chatting to Johanna Pena and Cynthia Stimple about the plight of whistleblowers in South Africa. If you want to join the conversation, you can SMS us on 34519, send a telegram to 061-895-1019, or you can tweet us at FM. Cynthia, before we went to break, we spoke about what happened to Johanna and Marumo in respect to the fact that they were forewarned. They knew that there were threats. They were embroiled in a massive case involving home affairs where they had blown the whistle, and they were told in no uncertain terms that they were going to get taken out. Johanna and Marumo tick all the boxes. They go to the authorities. They go to tell anybody who will listen, we are being threatened. They open a case of intimidation, and it seems as if nothing gets done because just over a month later, Marumo is assassinated. Do you believe that the authorities have a reluctance to investigate these type of cases? Chad, I think that there's more to it. It may be that they don't have the capacity, one. Two, that they don't have the time because there are just too many cases to deal with. And three, um, probably the competence around it. Of the challenge is that they've done the right thing by reporting it and the law enforcement has not done anything around it. So, and hence the reason I think we, uh, whistleblower houses come in is to fill this gap that has been left through, firstly, when you're protecting whistleblowers through the legislation, through the harassment that people are receiving, and then through law enforcement not being able to physically protect whistleblowers. And so with Whistleblower House, it started with um, three early founders, which is Ivan Pillay, Bianca Goodson, and Liesl Hrinewald. And they are now um, on the board. And with Ben Theron, who is the CEO, and myself uh, managing it, through that we've identified that there is the threat risk assessment which needs to be done for the whistleblowers and we've been over the past months looking for the best um, organizations to could to who can assist and we found an organization who can do that full um, threat risk assessment and then help in that way by providing some sort of um, response to helping the whistleblower the uh, upgrading their security, taking care of their physical um, needs. Um, we've also partnered with another organization, Aura, in um, having an app done, which will be launched soon, and it will be on all whistleblowers' phones, so that if they're in their vulnerable spot of leaving your home, arriving your home, or traveling, they can press this app and an arm response will come out to you. So we're looking at those type of initiatives just to help and minimize the risk that whistleblowers are facing. Johanna, 
something that's emerged out of this is your bravery. You've continued to testify in the case against the implicated officials at Home Affairs. They haven't been able to shut you up, but it's come at a cost. You've had to move house. You have to move with security wherever you go. You've had to adjust your entire life. How has this impacted on you, your family, and your friends? Um, Chad, uh, my kids. Um, I think uh, they were most affected by everything. First, by the death of their father. And myself, um, Marumo's mom, um, she's not well because of what's, what happened. Um, yeah, I had to move my house. I had to li- uh, leave my house, uh, leave in the middle of the night because I've, I was being followed. Uh, I had to... Yeah, my kids had to write their exams at home last last year because they were following them. They were following them at school. Um, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. It's been crazy, and I did continue with the testifying against um, the guys from Home Affairs, and um, I believe it was the right thing to do. How deep did you have to dig to get the courage? knowing that you are in the assassin's sights, knowing that your children could be collateral damage, for you to continue to testify against those staff members of Home Affairs who have been accused of being involved in corrupt activities? I did that for my husband. Um, His death was not going to be in vain. Um, I did that for the truth. Now, you received an award earlier this year and you dedicated that award to your late husband. And at that um, occasion, the deputy president was in attendance, and he spoke to you afterwards, and that led to meetings with the deputy minister of police, Castle Matale, as well as the head of the Hawks, um, Lieutenant General Godfrey Labier. Did that give you hope that perhaps there would be traction and movement in your case? It did. eh? Um, I thought by now they'll be arrested. Um, After our meeting with uh, General Libya, I was so hopeful um, that the culprits would be arrested. But um, they're still out there. Cynthia, let's talk about the culture that, that exists in South Africa to this day about collaborators being the same as informers, this whole culture of impimpi and how it's trickled down into today's day and age and people are afraid to talk out and we see the impact when we look at a case like the Peñas. Indeed, Chad, um, that culture still exists. People are afraid. It's a culture of fear. It's a culture of um, harassment and domination and authoritarian so in the past, and I think it stemmed from the early years in our apartheid years, when people informed on others, they were called impimpi. So they were informing. Um, they weren't really whistleblowers. But this negative name, negative connotation that's given to whistleblowers by being a snitch, an impimpi, a tattletale, 
um, someone who's not loyal is is really giving the wrong impression. And um, when when people mention whistleblowers in certain organisations, you already that um, negative perception is seen, and and people want to distance themselves from from whistleblowers. For me, the whistleblower is the one who is standing up, who takes the courage to speak out and is doing it because they are loyal, because they've observed something wrong and they want to fix it. It's never about themselves. It's never about wanting the accolades and the awards. I'm sure you, you felt that so did, did your husband. It is not. It's about um, you seeing something wrong and it is my duty as a good citizen as a caring citizen to speak out about it, or a good employer. And so, yes, I agree that um, the culture needs to change. We've seen now, even through the State Capture Commission, there's been many calls by um, Judge Zonda at the time for people to come in and speak. And um, people were still afraid because they felt, if I do that, I will lose my job, I could get killed, it, my family will suffer. So there's this long-term knock-on negative effect. And I think here's the time now for us to encourage and make it that we're doing our civic duty as citizens that we must speak out because that's the only way we can, A, get rid of the corruption in our country and, B, to leave a legacy for our children. Johanna, the, the bullying hasn't stopped. The intimidation and harassment is now at a different level. They saw that you were brave enough to continue to participate in the disciplinary inquiries that implicated Home Affairs staff members, and they saw that the threats didn't affect you, that you've now taken a stand for the sake of your husband's memory. They've now tried a new tactic. One could say they're bringing forward frivolous and vexatious legal applications against you, and this could be perceived in, in a lot of people's eyes as an extension of their intimidation. Um, Chet, they can try whatever that they want. Um, I'm still standing by my word, and I will still speak up for corruption. What do you want to see in respect of this case? We've seen so many cases where people have been arrested that have been implicated as the shooters, but we don't see the people that ordered those hits. Why is that an anomaly in South Africa? Um, like Cynthia said, I think um, lack of capacity, um, competence, and um, also they're willing to to arrest those culprits. Um, if our hawks, our um, SAPS can work together, they can do it. I mean, in my case, we've got evidence. We know who ordered the hit. We know the culprits. The hawks have the pictures. They've got the videos. Um, a lack of capacity, I guess. Cynthia, when you listen to Johanna's case, and you spoke earlier about the capacity issues, you spoke about the resources, and we've heard from um, Johanna who says a willingness um, do you believe that there could be a situation where 
because of political interference in the appointment of senior members that perhaps the cases don't necessarily get the attention that they need because there could be politically compromised people in the ecosystem. Yes, I think I very much agree with that. We've seen in the case of um, Babita Diokaran, who was assassinated outside her home two years ago, and more recently in August, the six people implicated in her assassination were arrested. But yet, um, nowhere has it been publicized yet. So we still don't know who are the people who um, organized or directed the call for that assassination. And so one could say there's reluctance, and uh, but there's definitely some political interference. And um, it's how to manage that, and that's why we need an, um, a coordinated effort, both uh, coming from the NPA, the SIU, the Hawks, and SAPs together to find ways of how do you tighten the circle and then get the prosecutions going because the length of time it takes, I think within a week, the six that shot um, Babita Diokaran were caught. But it took two years for them to be um, prosecuted. So it's that type of – the question I would ask is it competence? Is it? We've had the competencies before. It may have eroded. Is it um, the the capacity? Because we don't know. We've been told that many of them, there's no longer capacity. But if you have the willingness and you want to do it and they start working together as a team, then, yes, I also believe it can be done. Thanks. For you being put into this horrific situation the last 12 months, you've encountered countless assassinations. Has it come as a shock to you not just being a victim but also seeing how easy it's become to settle scores through the barrel of a gun in South Africa, Johanna? Um, it's becoming a norm. Uh, when you speak up in South Africa, uh, you are going to be taken out. Um, it doesn't move our law enforcement. It doesn't move our president. It doesn't move our politicians. It's a norm that if you speak up or if someone doesn't like you, they will take you out. This is a, a horrific indictment on our society as we sit here today, Cynthia, when one hears this from the victim of the most horrific possible crime, and she herself is still in danger, and yet she speaks about it as becoming normal in South Africa. Somebody does something that you don't like, you hire people to take them out. Yes, we've seen that in KZN specifically amongst all the councillors uh, recent, I won't just say recently, but over the years, that if anyone is, um, yeah, speaks out or challenges, they are taken out. We've seen it with uh, uh, Abashlali, um, um, uh, Barse Jondo, who also recently that whole 
um, civil societies who have spoken out against the unfairness of what's happening in their area, they have been taken out. Um, and we're seeing um, across the Cape, um, across Gauteng, Tuane, Yes, that it appears to be a norm now and that it's this lawlessness where there's no control. How How is this going to be managed? Because uh, I think the first step of safety for any civil servant is SAPs. And are we seeing their presence? Are we seeing them around? No, we don't. The only time we see them is when we have to report something um, to them in, in a police station. But you don't see their presence anywhere safeguarding any uh, civil servant. So, yes, I think we're in a state where this seriously needs to be re-looked at. Johanna, tomorrow is a year since the, the untimely passing of Marumo. And in that year, you have got to experience things that most people would never experience. You've got to experience police units, specialized units from the Hawks, members of intelligence, members from the private community. Uh, where have they gone wrong? If you could wave a wand after now being embedded for a year in the system, seeing where the system is perhaps broken or where it needs repairs, what do you think we need to see from the state law enforcement community to ensure that a case like this doesn't drag on for a year, especially if suspects are known? Um, Chad, I think it has to start with their willingness to do their job. And secondly, it has to start at the top um, from the minister, um, from the head of Hawks, and also the investigator uh, officers. I think it has to start with them. If they are willing to do their job, um, we'll see less of this type of crimes. Cynthia, does this put another target on you, speaking out about the rights of whistleblowers and wanting more protection for whistleblowers? At this point, I don't think so, but I could be wrong. Um, for me, having come through my own experience and having listened to other whistleblowers' stories, I just feel I need to help. It's, it's my way of saying we cannot do this alone. And we have to stand together and support one another. And hence the reason I'm working in this space. It's to support whistleblowers. It's really, really important that we do. Because um, if you're going to have um, constant assassinations, murders, that, that doesn't help. It doesn't find any solution to our country's ills, especially from a corruption perspective. And um, if we can start... Uh, advocating more so that more people can speak out. But if you stand together as a group, it's harder then for them to start individually trying to, to challenge or or um, get rid of you. It is a long journey. I feel that we need to um, develop this more, speaking to many civil societies for support, speaking to various organizations, corporates, etc., to either provide funding to help whistleblowers or we as a, as 
Whistleblower House, we're offering counseling, which is one of the unique things we've done to date, is being able to get um, whistleblowers, uh, clinical psychologists, just to work for them and work through this journey, which is really hard. And um, and then the safety factor, which is really, really important. And then also just finding legal counsel for them, because that's where you find just I'm sure in your own experience, uh, Jana, you um, spending a fortune on legal counsel just for your matter, which is something that's not budgeted for. No one budgets for these things. Thanks. We're talking about the plight of whistleblowers in studio with us today is Johanna Pena, um, who very sadly lost her husband to the bullets of an assassination last year. Tomorrow is exactly one year. Also in studio with us is Cynthia Stimple from the Whistleblower House. We're going to listen to a few words from our advertisers and we're going to come back. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We're chatting today about the plight of whistleblowers. We're joined in studio by Johanna Pena and Cynthia Stimple. Johanna, um, tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of the brutal passing of her husband, Marumo. And it's obviously been a complete and utter life-changing event. Apart from the killers getting caught, which is something that really needs to happen, what else could possibly give the family some form of closure, Johanna? Um. Chad, I think uh, for us, for me and my kids, we just need justice, nothing else. You've petitioned the deputy president of the country. You've met with the deputy minister of police. You've met with the head of the Hawks. Who else could you possibly talk to? How else can you push to get some or other movement on this case? Chet, at this point, even if I talk to the president, if there's no willingness, it won't matter. Cynthia, can we change the public to become that voice that a person like Johanna needs? Because if she's been lip serviced by so many people in such senior positions of authority, what do we do to change that lip service? How do we get the people to stand up and say enough is enough? Chad, this is where the advocacy comes in because we definitely need to get the voices of all citizens to speak out against this. I know there's an organization called change.org where one could get all citizens to to give their voice. Maybe you've done that already, um, to give... Um, they voice to that link so many signatures and then it goes directly to the president. Um, but more than that is being able to speak publicly about it where, um, I don't believe in the protests as in trying to damage anything, but being able to stand up, whether we just stand in a forum together like we did with Babita, um, People getting together with placards saying we need justice for Marumo. Um, there has been those protests done for Babita, justice for Babita, and we could possibly do that and maybe do that in different parts of the country all over tomorrow, being the 17th, um, because I think it would be easy to lobby certain um Civil societies would be willing to do it, and you don't need many. You can keep within the jurisdiction of um, 
the the 15 people which we had in COVID times so that it doesn't become unmanageable. And that way you get the whole public interest um, involved in that and just putting their voice to it. Because when one group picks it up, others that have a different method of, of um, spreading the word, it just happens faster. So that would be one option we could start looking at. Johanna, tell us a little bit about Marumo as a person, not as the man who blew the whistle at Home Affairs and who was going to testify with you because you were business partners against Home Affairs. Tell us how you want Marumo to be remembered. Oh, Chad, um, he was a kind man. He was the best father, um, a good husband, all his kids. They lacked nothing. Um, he, oh, sorry, it's very difficult. I'm so very sorry. Do we see the law changing? Do we see the Protected Disclosures Act being amended? Do we see a new bill coming in? Chad, what's happened earlier this year is that the Department of Justice has put out a discussion document to the public for us to comment on civil societies and, and the various public. We have done that as Whistleblower House, so has Corruption Watch, so has um, Gordon's Institute of Business Science, so has um, OUTA and I think many other organizations. I think Amnesty International has also given um, feedback on it. To date, we haven't heard anything. Um, we're hoping that the Department of Justice will review the full legislation, incorporate many injustices like this, time frames within solving certain um, cases because they go on for years and the case prescribes and everybody um, ignores the family in their pain and their grief. So, um, yes, we are hoping that the laws will change. If I may say, though, we may have the best laws in place, say the law is, it's still the attitude and behavior that needs to change. Because if we don't change the behavior, so for instance, even though um, Johanna has already put her case forward to the deputy president and many at a senior level, they by now should have taken action. And that's the behavior I'm talking about. How soon can they take the action and start putting the balls into place so they can start rolling um, rather than just letting it park and create and gather dust somewhere in a corner? Um, and this is what we need to advocate for, that justice must be served in a time frame as soon as possible Put all hands on deck, get all the skills, expertise on that to solve it because they're prolonging. They prolong the grief, and um, which is unnecessary when something like this has happened. We need everybody's support in this. Um, tomorrow being the anniversary, there's going to be various news inserts about this. So we want to use this as momentum that the public gets behind whistleblowers and their families and is able to put government in a position where government who is accountable to the people invokes laws and uses some of the legislation available to them to ensure that the rights of whistleblowers are protected. There is a hashtag, Justice for Marumo, 
and we call on all of you to go onto your social media accounts, talk about the plight of whistleblowers, um, include whistleblower house in your post, include the hashtag justice for Marumo and help us push government to the point where government is forced to do what they have to do in terms of our constitution. And that is protect each and every citizen of this land. Johanna, seeing you here, listening to you, and knowing that tomorrow you have to wake up to the realization that it's exactly a year, um, it just shows me again how very brave you are that you've taken this on and you you are not letting go of this. You want to see justice. And for that, as a, as a South African, I thank you. Thank you, Chet. Cynthia, of course, the same applies. You've been through the harassment that comes with whistleblowing. And, of course, you're now part of an organization that's there to try help those that have been targeted as a result of whistleblowing. How do we find out more about uh, the whistleblower's house? Thank you for that question, Chad. You can find us on www.whistleblowerhouse.org. We have a website. All details are on there. For those who would like to just send an email, you can email on info at whistleblowerhouse.org. I don't know the cell number of our heart, but you will find it on the website. Thank you. If you call us or you email us, we will definitely help you. To all our listeners today, thank you for joining us and help us get to that next step. Keep our whistleblowers in your thoughts. Keep their families in your thoughts. And tomorrow, keep Marumo in, in your thoughts as well as Johanna and the family because they've been left behind to pick up the pieces and they're trying their best not just to make sense of a senseless killing, but they're also trying to find justice. Remember that hashtag is justice for Marumo and include the whistleblower house. I'll be back straight after this with two live reads. Thank you so very much for joining us today, Johanna and Cynthia. Thank you so much. You're listening to the confidential brief with Chad Thomas on high FM. Again, I want to thank you all for joining us today. You can find the podcast of the show a little bit later today at highfm.com. And if you want more information about the Whistleblower House or more information about what we are doing to find justice for the Pena family, you can go to the Confidential Brief radio show um, page on social media as well as my LinkedIn profile. Thank you so very much for joining us today. And I hope that you join us in trying to make a difference in the lives of those that are trying to find change in our country.